0: Kids, toss your kin, get a real doorstop, and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the Internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number five eighty five with guest Richard Hundhausen. Recorded live Tuesday, July thirteenth, two thousand ten. And now, the man who's been really busy porting Microsoft Bob to the TRS-80, Carl Franklin. Thank you very
1: much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl. It's Richard. We're here. And uh, there we are. Hey, Richard. It's .NET and it's good. It's good. It is good. That's why you listen. That's why I'm listening. I got a question for you, Richard. All right, hit me. To be or not to be? What's the answer? I don't know, zero? Hex FF. Ah, nice. Two B or not two B? All right, or not. You like that? Yeah, I like that. That's good. Here's another one. A programmer walks into a butcher shop and buys a kilo of meat. This is a Canadian joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, an hour later, he comes back pissed off. They shortchanged him by 24 grams. <laughs> oh, come on. That's funny. Come on now. <laughs> well, I'd be pissed
2: off, too, if he shortchanged me 24 grams.
1: Ten twenty four, you know he's a oh, programmer. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I get it. Sorry. Okay, that's where a kilo is actually a kilo. A kilo is a kilo. Yeah. Sometimes a never mind. <laughs> so let's just jump into Better Know framework. All right. Got some real content here. What do you got? Uh, today I'm going to talk about um, easing effects. Oh, in System Windows, Silverlight, Silverlight mm-hmm. WPF easing Down. functions. Easing is when you have an animation mm-hmm. and you want to do a particular type of acceleration or deceleration using different uh, modes. And the modes include back ease, bounce ease, circle ease, cubic ease, elastic ease, which Ooh. I'll talk about in a minute, exponential ease, power ease, quadratic ease, quartic ease, quintic wow. ease, and sine ease. I don't Re- I don't even pretend to know what a lot of those mean. But I will talk to you about elastic ease, which Why? is kind of interesting. That uh, is an easing function creates an animation that resembles a spring oscillating back and forth until it comes to rest. Nice. Yeah. So sort of doing. Yeah. Doing. <laughs> so how it works in XAML is you have a rectangle, let's say. And then in nest, and these are all nested. You've got rectangle.triggers. Then you've got an event trigger with a routed event and begin storyboard, and then your storyboard, and then a double animation with some properties, and under that, double animation. easing function, and within that you have your elastic ease or any other ease mode that you want to do. But, of course, you can also just use blend. But the point here <laughs> is you don't
2: have to draw by hand the movement. Right. You would say, hey, I want you to land here, and I want you to do a little bounce before you get there.
1: You know, the biggest pleasing thing about the iPhone is that this just... Bouncy kind of quality to it that yeah. just didn't exist before that.
2: Well, you know who, where I really first saw this was Code Rush, right? Was Mark oh, yeah. Miller's obsession with how stuff moved when he rearranged method parameters and things like that.
1: That's true. Yeah, yeah same was...
2: sort of thing. It accelerated naturally, it decelerated naturally, and sort of came to rest.
1: Some good stuff. So yeah, there you guys can nice
2: see it's just in the framework now.
1: Systems.windows.media.animation. And uh, if you want to look at the easing mode enumeration, that's at shrinkster.com slash one echo kilo Lima, one E-K-L. Richard, who is talking to us?
2: Well, let's see. This subject line is Mexico loves
1: Silverlight 2. Oh, yeah. I remember this one.
2: Hey, Carl and Richard slash Richard and Carl. I've been a fan of your show for almost a year now. I really enjoyed listening to you guys, and it helps me keep up with the endless pile of great, bad-named Microsoft products. And some great OK named non-Microsoft products every once in a while also. Hmm. I've also enjoyed the latest Better Know Framework bits and Carl's increasing interest in Silverlight. You don't say. Yeah. Together with the recently awarded Silverlight MVP, Rodrigo Diaz, who I think we've met. I believe we did. And some more... Silverlight enthusiast in Latin America, we formed a community called La Liga Silverlight, the Silverlight League. Nice. Where we try to spread the word about this exciting technology in our mother tongue. After all, there are about 417 million Spanish speakers in the world and very little content in this language. Anyway, I'd love to hear the recording of the live weekend session you had with Tim Heuer. I was really looking forward to hearing the broadcast, but I was in the middle of moving out of another house on those days. Don't worry, that show's coming up. It's in the stack. Yep. And by the way, when are you coming to Mexico? When are you going to invite us? There you go. If you come to Guadalajara, we promise to get you very, very drunk. How can we refuse that, Richard? (laughs) You know it'll be tequila and we're going to die.
1: I know, that's true. (laughs) It's evil. Bad things happen when you drink tequila, kids.
2: That's it. Just say no. Keep up the good work, guys. Arturo Molina. And Arturo, thanks for your great email. We'll send a mug down to you in Mexico. And if you've got an idea for a show, some questions, concerns, want to invite us to your country, send us an email, rocks at franklins.net.
1: And that brings us to our guest, Richard Hunhausen. He is the president of Accentient, a company that specializes in application lifecycle management, or ALM, using Visual Studio. He has over 25 years of software and database development experience and 19 years of training and presentation experience. Richard is a Microsoft Regional Director, Visual Studio ALM MVP, and the author of Microsoft's Professional Scrum Developer Course. Welcome, Richard. Uh, thanks, Carl. I can't believe that you've never been on this show.
3: I listened to it. I haven't been on it. I apologize.
1: I thought we I thought we got all uh, or most of the... U.S. R.D.s on this show.
3: Hmm. I, I guess I haven't had anything interesting to talk about.
1: Hmm. Well, how do we know that he does now? <laughs> uh, it's going to be. It's a good all one. RDs sure, Richard,
2: on this Richard. show. All MVPs on this show today. So this is going to be trouble, I think.
3: <laughs> yeah, so I think. So did you
2: always call it your the, your work ALM, or did you switch to that when Microsoft did?
3: You know, I switched to it when Microsoft did. Uh, it was SDLC for a short term, and uh, before that, it was just whatever you wanted to call that, that whole suite of tools.
2: Right. Yeah. The pile of team system tools?
3: The, the pile of tools, yes. The alt-tab effect, I called it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the only thing more frightening than trying to use it was trying to install it.
3: They, they fixed that now, you know.
2: Yeah, so I've heard. I have not had a chance to take 2010 out for a spin.
3: It installs... It installs very easily because they've deferred all of the decision-making to the configuration step.
1: Ah. Okay.
2: So as long as you know how you want to configure it. So it installs easily, but you still can't use it until you configure it. You got it. So they've shifted the pane to later. That's it. Okay. But at least you get it in.
1: So you've been working on some uh, some agile things in TFS lately. What, uh, what have you been working on?
3: Yeah, so... It's been an interesting year. Uh, basically, we've, we've all known what agile software development is. We've all had our opinions. There's been different methods you know, out there in the community. I'm, I'm a big fan of Scrum since I first you know, opened Schwaber's book back when and, and read through the rules. But uh, Martin Fowler wrote an interesting wiki post uh, a year ago calling it Flaccid Scrum, saying that you know a lot of teams are using scrum by name but they're not really taking the opportunities to inspect and adapt their process to improve and it's giving not just scrum and agile a bad name when these these teams are failing but software development you know in general
2: so at the simplest level here just scrum where it's all we do is meet each day
3: you know or we use the terms you know we have a product owner and a scrum master i'll give you an example one of the teams i worked with last fall Um, We were doing the kind of the, you know, the dating, seeing what, you know, how do you guys do software development and how can we help you? And they said, yeah, we use Scrum. You know, uh, once we uh, get into the new Sprint, we meet with the Scrum master. Uh, He tells us what to do. We then get together in the Sprint planning and decide how long the Sprint's going to be to to get that list of work done. And then, uh, you know, we we do what he tells us to. I'm thinking, wow, you know, you're using all the right terms, but that's nothing what it should be that's not scrum that you just described there so that's flaccid scrum or what we call scrum butt
1: scrum butt okay who's making this stuff up
3: <laughs> it's it's not me it's it, it's scrum butt is oh yeah we're using scrum but you know we change our iteration length every time
1: okay i really like thought that. it was something you needed a cream for <laughs> <laughs> so so i mean and you're sort of
2: at these... stop now i'm sorry these sort of key things to this like changing iteration lengths.
3: Yeah, there's I mean there's some things that you know you just don't do in scrum if you want if you want to sort of level set your team's dynamics and your your metrics so that you can start to, to do better at predicting, you know, when the release or the product's going to be going to be done, you know, what, what you're going to have finished by the end of the sprint. Then you don't you don't change the basic rules. There there are points in scrum where you can uh, adapt how you do things and something should not be adapted or else you're not doing scrum. And and part of this professional scrum developer program is an approach to, you know, how, how do we help teams do this using modern engineering practices and modern tooling, Visual Studio 2010 for example.
2: All right, I'm uh, I'm just sort of drilling along the line of this, you know, what do we do to do make scrum right? Is the real goal here to to be more measurable, to just sort of be able to compare from iteration to iteration?
3: So that's one of the things, you know, there are, there are very few metrics in Scrum. Uh, one of the debates I'm always getting pulled into is tracking actual hours. You know, a lot, of, a lot of teams with their sort of waterfall roots want to know, well, your original estimate was 60 hours for this task. Uh, and then as you went along and broke it down, it turns out that it was more like 80 hours. Well, you know, we need to get better at that. And, and Scrum says, you know, don't worry so much about your original estimates and your actual, your actual hours put in. Let's look at, at that task and how it associates with the story or the bug fix and look, at, look at, at the estimation for what you committed to doing in that sprint and what you got done or not. So don't worry about the minutia, unless, of course, you're tracking on a timesheet to get paid, for example, then that's, a non, that's not even related to software development. That's right. an HR thing. But let's let's track the metrics that matter, and and not worry about the other metrics for the sake of tracking metrics.
2: So, what are the metrics that matter?
3: The metrics that matter are your you know burn downs, both at the sprint level. So that's saying, hey, we've got so many tasks that we need to complete, uh, you know, to to finish these three or four user stories, right? And we've got four hundred hours left, and we're you know twelve days into our. Our four-week sprints, and given the vacation time and the the hours that people are working and all the capacity, we can uh, easily make this mark before the sprint ends. So it's it's a a tactical prediction uh, graph or model for what can be accomplished in the sprints. There's also one at the product level or the release level that that shows how many uh, product backlog items or or story points are going to be able to get into the product by a specific set of sprints. And then there's velocity, which is just simply the team's uh, ability to knock out product backlog items or story points you know, per sprint so you can start to see what the team can be expected to do in upcoming sprints based on what they've done in the previous sprints.
2: And it more or less sounds to me like actually being allowed to question how long will it take you to build this feature.
3: Exactly. And, and the only way to know that accurately is have a team that's worked together, that's uh, formed and stormed and normed and all that, and get get them, you know, to agree on some some sizing of their product backlog items. Get them to pair up and, and become cross-functional and understand the tools and get get used to Scrum. And you know, over time, the 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 percentage of their time wasted in new not knowing these new things, you know, drops down towards zero, and they're as as productive as they can be.
1: Richard, is, have you learned anything new in the last year or so doing, uh, doing Scrum or, or any other Agile uh, practices with TFS?
3: Um, I have. In just the, even the last, gosh, six months, you know, we've been out there prepping trainers to teach this uh, course. And I've met trainers that are, that are heavy on, on Agile and Scrum and, and kind of light on the mechanics of, of TFS and Visual Studio and some other trainers that are completely the opposite. And then some of the uh, the more alt.net folks, which are heavy on the engineering practices, you know, test-driven and CI and refactoring. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've learned so much. I mean, I'm standing here in the, the middle of this, this triangle of, of these three technologies, if you will, and it's just a rare opportunity to get as much opinion as I get from people that are just, you know, the best of the best teaching this stuff. So it all comes back to
2: whether or not you make successful projects, you know, the... the side of this, like i I I see Martin Fowler's article here on Flaccid Scrum and the main you know, the always comes back to are we actually shipping code successfully? And his implication here is that this isn't going to ship code successfully because you're not dealing with certain key issues. That's right. And the main one he's
3: focused on is technical debt. Technical debt is huge and, and if teams have a definition of done but don't stick to it, that just accrues that debt and not just linearly but more exponentially. So that when it does come time to release after, say, ten sprints, you're gonna spend a whole sprint or two just undoing that that ball of mud of things that you saved until the very end. And that's not good Scrum.
2: Now I'm I'm thinking your scenario at the beginning where it's like, okay, well we do everything the Scrum Master says technical debt is generally something that an individual developer owns that they basically have to shove back onto the stack to folks. Is that where you're really saying that's what they were doing wrong there? Is, is that pushback to say, here are some things that I know aren't the new features you really want to do, but if we don't do these now, it's only going to get worse?
3: So that, that was the subtle point. The, the more obvious in your face point is, you know, the Scrum Master doesn't tell you what to do. There's the product owner who owns the backlog of, of features and bugs that need to be fixed in the product. And he or she will prioritize those, work with the team to understand the costs. The team then commits to work after having, you know, a collaboration with the product owner and knowing what their velocity and capacity is for what they can achieve that sprint. And all the Scrum Master does is manage the process. You know, they're the Scrum champion that understands the rules and makes sure that everyone obeys the time box, you know, handles all the artifacts and all the time boxes correctly. Nobody tells other people what to do, even inside the team. It's meant to be a ring of peers, not a hierarchy of, you know, traditional waterfall folks.
2: Right. So everybody is roughly equal, standing in the scrum.
3: Exactly. I mean, one of the things I say when I when I teach is I have a couple of brutal sayings. One of them is burn your business cards or reprint them just to say pig or developer <laughs> or team member,
2: just to get rid of that dynamic of of one person yep. ordering another one around.
3: Even the term developer doesn't mean developer like you and I think of it. It's, the programmer is a type of developer. So is tester, database uh, developer, architect, the build, the build manager. Anybody who's committing to work and help deliver this increment into something potentially shippable in that sprint is called a, quote, developer. That was, that was hard for me to get my brain wrapped around.
2: Right. It's all, all about the same. So, what has Studio 2010 done to impact Scrum development?
3: So, a lot of things. Uh, as far as as far as the front end goes, the Visual Studio IDE, you know, they've made the process of TDD a lot a lot simpler. As as Ewan Garden says, they've they've reduced the friction in doing TDD. Uh, it's still not quite the gold standard, but with the basic unit tests, the test impact analysis, you know, the the ability to have the test view. Uh, not always updating in the background, not always deploying the binaries. It's a lot easier and slicker to do test-driven development. That's just one of the practices. Uh, in the in the back-end, TFS, obviously there's the new Scrum template Microsoft announced at TechEd. Uh, it's still in beta, but it's looking very, very good and promising and should be RTM, you know, I would think any time now. Uh, it's going to have direct support for Scrum using the Scrum terms, you know, using the product backlog item term, for example, rather than user story. Uh, team build automates a lot of this regression testing even better than 2008. Uh, test impact analysis integrates. Your architectural layer diagram validation integrates. And it's, I, I say team build is, you know, another team member that you don't have to pay a salary to. And, it, and a good agile team will use it that way, too.
2: Now, I'm still trying to grab onto how TDD and Scrum relate together.
3: Well, they don't, and, and in fact, the whole Scrum Professional Scrum Developer course is a bit of a—it's a bit of a, you know, an impedance mismatch because Scrum, Scrum has nothing to do with software development. Yeah, so I was a, thinking a framework to manage complex projects.
1: Yeah,
3: you know. Yeah, you. I, could... I know some people that manage their families using Scrum. They have daily stand-ups and task boards, and ugh.
2: You know, I actually have a friend who's done that and, and for a time just to get on the idea that everyone sits together as a family and, and as peers, largely, to operate the household.
1: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, whose RAD controls outperform all others. Are you experiencing performance hits when handling millions of records with your Silverlight grid? Have you been frustrated by the amount of XAML code it takes to create a control template? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your app performance. And, of course, there's no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building RAD controls for Silverlight, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution. Through UI and data virtualization, data sampling, and content recycling, RAD controls help you deliver unbeatable performance with your Silverlight apps. You can check out Telerik Silverlight grid handling 50 million cells as a piece of cake or RadChart working seamlessly with a million records. Just go to Telerik.com slash Silverlight slash performance for details. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. They truly make this show possible. If I can, uh, if I can totally go in another direction for a minute, you know, we have um, had meetings with people, our entire careers, all of us, where you you seem to have the same meeting over and over and over again, and nothing ever gets decided, nothing ever gets resolved. And, uh, uh, you know, that you fall into that trap of just meeting for the sake of meeting. So, I, I mean, I guess even if you have, even if you're following the rules, so, you, you, can, you can always, you're always susceptible to that dragon.
3: Mm-hmm even the concept of time boxing. I mean, I was in Europe the last couple of weeks doing one of these tea preps. And my wife and I, we'd, we rented a, a van driving the family around, you know, Belgium and, and Netherlands. We'd say, let's find a restaurant. You know, here's one that would work, but let's find something that maybe is better. And we've got 10 minutes time box to find that or else we default back to this one that we know about. It's powerful. It's, it, it stops the arguments of, Oh, are we ever going to make a decision? This right. was your idea, and having some agreement going into a commitment, a time box around it is powerful. Well, and
2: again, yeah, creating some urgency. You've only got this if you if you're the one who really wanted something else, you know you've only got so long to find out finding something else. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting element of exercising this technique outside of software development.
3: Yeah. I mean Ken Ken Schwaber talks about, you know, any any uh, professional sports team will tell you they could have won the game if they'd have had more time <laughs>
2: <laughs> one more end
3: that's right I mean I think I think Holland could have done it against Spain if they'd have had one more overtime
1: yeah that does, it always seemed to me to be kind of strange that there could be a tie in a game, oh sorry game time's over there's a <sighs> tie we were all dreading the shootout weren't we yeah, well, what does it come – in, in the football, what does it come down to if there's a, a final tie? They have like a – they line up and do a kick. Yep, they do shootouts. Yep. And that's so the entire World Cup could come down to this ball versus that ball. That's right. And it's happened before and everybody hates it. Yeah. Why don't they just keep extending the time? Because then it gets more and more dramatic, right? Until somebody drops. Yep. Until somebody finally has a heart attack. All right. I'm sorry. I'll shut up now. <laughs> this is a but You, you, you know, you're show. making an argument that's been made before and it's relevant. Well, not, not to this show, but,
2: <laughs> but it is
0: relevant. No, I think
1: we're having a scrum moment right here. <laughs> yeah, make a decision. You know, clear, most of the time when people have stress, not just in their lives but in their work, it, it just comes down to worrying about making a decision. And, uh, you know, not just in work but in life too. Make a decision, you make an informed decision, and then you stick with it. And if you have to modify that decision later, then you do but making decisions is powerful.
3: And, you know, the, whenever you've got a software development team, you've got, you know, the, the people part, the process part, and the, and the technology part. And, and technology is easy. We've we've figured that out a long time ago. You know, you've got this in place. It does this. Here's the training. Have a nice day. The process part, it, it's getting better. You know, there are, are better frameworks, and there's better guidance out there. You know, the Scrum Developer Program, for example, uh, is, is one that, helps teams understand what to do the other 7 hours and 45 minutes of the day after the daily stand-up, right? But the people part, good luck with that. You know, nobody's going to watch some videotapes and and download Visual Studio and then, you know, have a perfectly functioning team. Some of these teams have so much dysfunction in them because they've got some old waterfall, you know, uh, habits. They've got management that doesn't give them the space or give them the ability to do what they need to do. It needs a good a good coach to go on site there, and they're, and they're actually called Agile coaches or Scrum coaches. Go on site there in bed for a period of time and just teach everybody up and down what what's going on and how to make it better.
2: So I'm thinking about teams where you have some juniors and so forth. I guess the, the dysfunction of a, that 15-minute meeting, is that really the only time you could see the problem in the group?
3: No, no. But that is one of the highlighted inspection and adaption points. So there are several in Scrum. Uh, you know the Sprint planning meeting, for example, is where you do some inspect and adapt on the, on the product and the commitment to what you're going to be doing to it for that sprint. the daily uh, the daily standup or the daily scrum um, is, is where you inspect and adapt, not just on the product but also on the process. if If uh, Carl, for example, has been saying the last three days, uh, well, i didn't I didn't do anything yesterday but work on the stored procedure, and today I'm going to keep working on the stored procedure. You know, by Wednesday, we're going to be questioning what he's really doing because right. we're looking at the burn down, and that was, you know, a four-hour task. It's now coming up on, gosh, you know, twenty-four hours or something on that.
2: But this still comes back to the issue of estimating, right? Like, folks aren't automatically good at estimating. No, Maybe it was a twenty-four-hour sort procedure,
3: right? And you know, the the, the team will will notice that. If, if they're a good team and, and they're, they're not dysfunctional in, in the regard of, with respect to understanding what, what each other is doing, they're able to, at those meetings, say, well, man, what, let me just sit down with you and see what's going on because I've got some T-SQL experience. Maybe we can, we can work through this. Uh, but if you just say, okay, and let them go back to their desk and spend another day on it, th- that's not a good team.
2: Well, and then I gets the question is, what do you do when it's not a good team? Like, How do you fix that? You find a dysfunctional team. Now what?
3: Yeah, now what? Uh if if the team's dysfunctional to the point of not being able to identify it or fix it, you know, you're you can draw a lot of analogies to real life. I mean, you know, families that have alcoholics in them they're yeah. not willing to step up and, and do anything, you are just gonna you're gonna suffer with it and know that it could be so much better if you addressed it.
2: Well we've all dealt with the toxic developer, right? Oh yeah. And, and I guess, they, you know, you're the you're the consultant. You're going in as the, the, the scrum lead there in coaching. Uh, what's your suggestion for dealing with these toxic developers? Fire them. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great that you said that because I'll be teaching a, a, a group of people that are going to be, be teaching this class. And on one end, we've got the folks that say, "What? Well, I'd, I'd fire them. And the other end is the guy that kind of wraps the sweater around the shoulders, cocks the head back, and says... No, no. What you have here is an opportunity to make a better person, a better team member, and a better team. So you've, you've got both opposites here. Some of them are like, look, he's interrupting me. Get rid of him. Let's move on. And the other end is, no, let's understand the problem and you know and, and educate and coach. And, and then in a few on. months, a few sprints will be much better.
2: Yeah, I guess that's the thing is, can you rehabilitate a toxic developer?
3: I think it
1: just depends
3: on the person, you know. Well, it depends on the dysfunction, too. I mean, if it's just not understanding the rules of scrum or not taking advantage of, of certain points, that's a that's a coaching thing. If the person's just rude, you can't fix rude people, usually, without some kind of a stick.
1: If they're open to learn and they can learn, then that's one thing. If they're open to learn and they can't, they're incompetent, that's another thing.
3: There's a whole discussion we had just in Brussels is agile and Scrum well? Is agile software development kind of the young twenty-something game where people are expected to you know sleep under their desk and and hit the the community you know sites at night and reading Twitters constantly and not really having a home life? Or can you take uh, eight you know forty-year-old guys with families that are there promptly at eight but leave promptly at five and expect software to be developed correctly?
2: Yeah. Well, I do think there's a—it's almost a romantic notion of the programming day and night to get something done. But is it possible? Like, have you seen this done?
3: The, the con- I have not seen it done. I mean, the consensus is you need a couple of highly caffeinated, sleep under their desk types to, to handle the the one-off situations.
2: And that the and I, you know, Microsoft doesn't like using the term "mort" anymore. But the guys who do nine to five because they have lives, and you know, development isn't their life. They can be productive, but it's like they're not going to own the crisis. They're going to do the body work.
3: That's right. It's a good conversation. Can you have a, a group of morts be a, a good scrum team? And, yeah. I mean, I think, I think on, on the whiteboard, yes. The answer is yes. But in, in real life, things come up. You know, you got to do all-night sessions. Someone's going to have to come in.
2: Yeah, or you just don't make the milestone. I mean, I, ultimately, the, you know we started this whole conversation off with the idea that eventually you get good at measuring your productivity – and so, you know, shouldn't you eventually adopt a routine of measurement where this team will consistently produce? It just may not produce as high or as much code as the 20 something sleeping under the
3: desk. Absolutely. I mean, the two teams may have different velocities, but it's not about that. It's about the consistency. It's it's almost like bracket racing in, in drag cars. It's yeah. not the fastest car that wins, because that would be something that NASA would build and then it would be over. It's I had a. How well. How well are you at repeating and not going faster than your mark?
1: I had a uh, developer tell me once while sleeping on the job that that he was actually solving a problem with his unconscious mind. <laughs> That's and a good you one. Do. I like that. Uh, uh, I just let him go back to sleep, and I woke up and said, okay, what's the solution? <laughs> then, of course, he didn't have one. <laughs> well, then your unconscious mind is fired. <laughs> your unconscious mind can take a walk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's still, given both teams are consistent and reliable, right? They, they, they're going to turn out the same amount of work each time. You are going to have faster teams and slower teams. Sure, yes. I guess the other element of this is can you actually effectively measure reliability? Do the 9 to fivers actually, because of their conservatism, produce more reliable code? than the under-the-deskers. The under-the-deskers.
3: The under well, and, and that comes... I like the under-the-deskers. The <laughs>
1: nine-of-fivers right. and the under-the-deskers.
3: The
2: nine-of-fivers and the under-the-deskers.
3: So it comes back to each team's going to have their definition of done, which is, you know, all of those little mental checklist things that they're going to say, you know what, this task is not done until this, and this, this story or this bug fix is not done until this. And, and obviously the things like acceptance criteria met the product owner accepts that those are kind of those are kind of assumed but one team may say hey everything's got to be developed using pair programming everything's got to be code reviewed everything's got to be run through fx cop with no errors or warnings and the 20 somethings may say you know what f5 has to return no errors and we've got to have it checked in that's it <laughs> well those guys having you know next to nothing on their definition of done are going to be lightning fast on their velocity but they're going to be cranking out unquality code Right.
2: Unquality? Quality-less? Mm-hmm. Quality-lacking.
3: Yeah. I mean, basically, Planet the quality. real
2: thing is they're going to upset the customer because the stuff's not going to work.
3: Well, I mean, if it's fit for purpose, does the customer care? If uh, behind the scenes there wasn't unit tests and there wasn't code coverage and nothing was labeled when it was checked in and, you know, a, a branch was created and the CI build was set up, does the customer know or care?
2: Well, the customer won't care if it works that day. It's when you do the next version and and it takes much longer or has a bunch of problems that you find out the price of that quick version. Absolutely. That's right. But if you never shipped another version, I mean, there's still this, you know, you ain't going to need it mentality. Like just build what you need, nothing more that would actually sell pretty nicely into do it as quickly as possible.
3: Well, there is a bit of that in, in Scrum. I mean, there's solve today's problem today and tomorrow's problem tomorrow. And you want to avoid gold plating which is to say that, okay, in this sprint, we're just going to be doing these three stories around uh, the customer management module. We need to be able to add, we need to be able to list, and we need to be able to print out a PDF report. Those are our three stories. And while you're in there, you're like, you know what, it's so easy for me to go ahead and and, and extend the table to support the gold, silver, and platinum levels for their their airline programs and go ahead and write this other procedure because I'm going to need it later. But as soon as you have that stuff, it's, it's inventory, it's debt. And it could be next sprint, you don't do those stories because your company took a left turn. So it, it's it's something that a mature Agile team will, will do is just, let's just implement the minimum amount for this sprint's work and, and wait until the next sprint to do anything additional.
2: But That's there hard. is a technical debt to that as well, that now I'm going to need to tear apart that assembly to add the next feature that was needed.
3: Absolutely. And, and there's no getting around that. Just use, you know, smart framework, smart uh, development approaches, principles, and all of that, and, and good refactoring tools as well.
2: Yeah, but you know, if I'm looking at my app with three features, MEF makes no sense to me right now with only three features. Although the next iteration is going to be three more features, and I'm going to need to retrofit MEF in and redo the first three to make the next three make sense.
3: Well, and hopefully you don't have to do that much. Uh, you know, that's why it takes. Another good FAQ that uh, that Ken asks and answers, gets asked and answers is, does it take an intelligent team to do Scrum? And his answer is no, it takes an intelligent team to write software. Uh-huh. Because those kinds, you don't want to make bad decisions in Sprint 1 knowing that you've got upcoming work in Sprint 2. It doesn't mean you have to do extra work, but you just don't maybe choose you know, closed architectures and things like that.
2: But there is someone at the code level thinking between and beyond the given sprints, I mean, you you can't have everyone head down on the problem. I mean, ultimately, I guess that would be the best definition of an architect in this case, right?
3: What do you what do you mean heads down or not not heads down?
2: Well, it, you know, the heads down meaning I'm working on my sprint with my feature that I own, and I'm really not worried about the rest of the stuff around me. I've got to get this thing done in the four weeks I've got.
3: Yeah, no, that for for, for starters, the, the team you know, works the team owns the commitment of not just that one feature but all three for the sprint. Now if if uh you're talking about multiple scrum teams working on multiple feature crews for a, a common instance, then uh yeah, there needs to be some kind of a synchronization at a higher level so these guys don't reinvent the wheel in in the, in the individual scrum teams.
2: Yeah, I guess this is just a balancing act. So is as much when you do scrum and when you don't. Like where are the exception cases? And, you know, what roles right. don't and, necessarily fit. And we're always and presuming that this app has many iterations and it. it has many different versions it's going to ship.
3: And there's plenty of examples not to use Scrum. You know, one is a team that's not really doing any new development. They're just kind of constantly in break-fix mode. You know, right. I, I, I can't see how you could ever plan those or work with sprints. So don't don't do Scrum.
2: Yeah, if you're just repairing the bugs as they come in. That's right. So, can you talk a bit about some of the projects you've worked on uh, related to coming in on scrums like this?
3: Yeah, so so my background, you know, as a software developer, kind of kind of ended when when Team Systems showed up because I've, I'm finally, you know, here's some great tools and and some consulting opportunities around improving teams. So I hate to admit it, but I've I've not written a lot of .NET codes, you know, in the last few years. I I've, I follow along and. Understand the improvements in the languages and the, and the frameworks, but what I what I do day to day is I work with teams to help improve, you know, their their ALM tools and processes, and and nine times out of ten that includes going to some some agile approach. And I always recommend Scrum, whether or not they want to uh, go for it or not. It's a different story, but teams I've seen adopting agile practices and and Scrum specifically uh, range wildly. Um, obviously, the startups. Works great for them because there is no, no debt, there is no inventory. Uh, but I've also been working with more mature teams. There was a, an SI in the Virginia area that said yes to a big Navy contract because I think it was an eight-figure deal, and who wouldn't say yes to that? When they called <laughs> me today, so they called me in and said we want to use uh, Team System 2010. It's still in beta. You know, can you help us go live on it? And also, we want to get some of that Scrum. Because we it comes in a spray Scrum can is is helpful for predicting. So, so,
2: what did they want Scrum for?
3: Well, they, they, they knew that, Scrum, that by using Scrum with a with a mature team will help them be able to predict when when you know not just what will be done this sprint, but when will the, the product backlog or the release be finished. Because the little tidbit they forgot to tell me until I was on site is here are the four hundred and ten requirements the Navy wants. Uh, we don't have them in any kind of priority. We don't have them broken down into, you know, epics or stories or acceptance criteria, any of that. We just have to have this whole list done by August, 2012. Wow. And, you know, the little spidey senses on my, you know, hairs on the back of my neck stood up like...
2: Run away!
3: <laughs> You're all exactly. going to die. So what do? You, where did you start? We went through the basics of Scrum. I said, well... First and foremost, someone at the Navy needs to be the product owner for this. You need to have a single ringable neck. You need to have somebody that can make, you know, prioritiz- prioritization decisions that you can ask subject matter questions to, and it's available. And, you know, their, their person was some captain who's on shore once in a while, and otherwise, you know, some backups are answering questions, and that just doesn't work very well.
2: So right off the, uh, the bat, your, your, matter ex- your subject matter expert is not available.
3: Yep. So the developers can't pick up the phone and ask a me a question. The The prioritization was totally left up to this group, which is backwards. But from the Navy's point of view, they don't care what order it gets built so long as all 410 things are done by August 2012. Right. And convincing the Navy otherwise seems like a waste to them. Why? Why do I have to help you understand this list and put it in priority? We're not going to take it half done. And, well, it's so that if by August 2012 we've only got 350 things done, they're the most important 350 things you wanted. Right. Well,
2: I mean, to me that sounds like this is inherently a waterfall project. Like, why would you even try to apply Scrum to
3: it? Uh, Because they wanted to have a little bit of transparency inside. I mean, it was obviously a a waterfall-encased project from from the customer's point of view. Yeah, it's
2: this much money for this many
3: features by this date. But this date is your is your stake in the sand, and we need it. We need it done by then, so we can then take two years to start deploying it to the ships. Right.
2: But yeah, you mean you so. had an Iron Triangle there? You had this much money, this many features on this date. Yep. Good luck with that. They locked up all three. Like, what are you going to do?
3: And. I just knew that if they wouldn't make it, somehow Visual Studio would get the bad rap, you know, whatever. Oh, TFS doesn't help us predict. Well, yeah, you just didn't like what it said. Right. So have you guys been following the whole uh, craftsmanship movement? Yes. Yeah. I mean, this this all plays into that, not not just from individual and, and, and how you you know design your apps and architect things, but, you know, teams. And sometimes teams need to say no. And that's so hard to do, you know, say no to an eight-figure deal because it's impossible to do it.
2: Well, and at the same time, if this team's not used that model before, like they have not estimated well enough to even know if they can do it or not, much less for this project. I mean, the amount of hours that have got to go into simply doing the estimation of the features. Mm -hmm. That's a ton of work just to even know if you have a chance to do it. I don't see I don't see how scrum's saving you there like where where is scrum going to to pull your bacon out?
3: So it, it isn't and, and I did set these guys straight. I said you can adopt a lot of the agile you know practices internally uh, but in, until your customer you know agrees to to do scrum and it's already too late for that because the triangle is iron uh, you're you're not going to be doing scrum here. And it won't really gain you anything. but where where scrum is good, and I, I know there's a lot of books and opinions out there on, on how to adopt Scrum. You know, do you sneak it in as a little Skunk Works project, or do you put up the banner on the side of the building and say, this next project will be done using Scrum, so that everyone's all in? But the rule's simple. Don't consider Scrum unless the pain of not having Scrum outweighs the pain of implementing Scrum, because it is huh. painful.
2: Yeah, and I guess, so what is the pain of not having it?
3: Well, the organization has to know that. They have to know, you know, quality has suffered. We've slipped. We're losing customers. We've, you know, put it into millions of dollars, put it into unhappy faces. Another team I worked with in the Bay Area, uh, they cannot find developers because all the recruiters, you know, in Northern California will not send people there because they burn them out.
2: Interesting. Yeah. And and the recruiter gets developers back. They don't want them used up.
3: Hmm. Exactly. That's, you know... To me, that's that's pain, whether it's, you know, chosen uh, in, in software that's not working on time or, or per requirement. It's still a pain that, that Scrum can help address because Scrum, to some degree, unionizes the team, gives them a voice, gives everybody a common set of rules to work by. And if you can keep the, the, the management, you know, to a single person that you're talking to and also keep them out of your hair during the sprint, you know, life gets a lot better from the developer's point of view.
2: Well, for no other reason, you're outnumbering them. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> We're just about out of time here. Is there anything that you want to uh, add before we hang up?
3: Just, yeah, a couple uh, resources for some people. You know, uh, this this program that we, we started about a year ago was to address Flaccid Scrum and to give people some no-kidding guidance on using Visual Studio and these agile engineering practices during, during the sprints, during the, the development of these products. So... We got Microsoft and Ken Schwaber. Uh, He was with Scrum Alliance at the time and and has since uh, started up Scrum.org primarily around this program. So this is actually a a program sponsored by Microsoft. You can find it on MSDN. It's shrinkster.com slash one echo kilo foxtrot. Okay. Uh, There's links on there back to scrum.org, which that's pretty simple URL. I don't need to give you the shrinkster for that, although I do have one. Um, and just keep your eyes on the, uh, the MSDN site for the process templates because the Scrum template will be uh, available soon. Ken Schwaber's looked at it. It fits in nicely with the Scrum Developer Program. It's actually what we're going to be using uh, during the teaching of the classes.
1: All right, great. And we'll put that link on the website. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Richard. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been fun, and we'll talk to you next time.